0: As you know, we're working our way through the Gospel of John, and this morning we're in the opening verses of John chapter 12, verses 1 through to 11, and I'm really pleased that El's mummy has agreed to read for us this morning. So over to you, Omar. Right? Jesus
1: anointed to Bethany. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived. Whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about half a liter of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plan to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him.
0: Thank you very much indeed for reading this morning. I don't know how many of you normally watch the Oscars. It was a bit of a pig's ear this year. You know, lots of mistakes made in terms of the run-up to the ceremony itself. But it is that occasion where uh, we celebrate all the sort of amazing performances uh, on film and Techie and so on uh, throughout the past year. And... uh, the pre-Oscar favorite for the Best Actress was to be Glenn Close. Um, She had been nominated seven times previously and never ever won. And so certainly the bookies favorite by far was that she would take the Oscar for Best Actress this year. But as I'm sure many of you know, it didn't quite work out like that. And in the end, it went to Olivia Colman. And uh, it was all a little bit awkward. Of course, you never quite know whether they're acting when they're giving their speeches or whether they're genuine in what they say. But uh, what Olivia Coleman said in her opening speech was that this was really sort of embarrassing for her and really difficult because, like, she is number one fan of Glenn Close. And so she found it really difficult, in a sense, pipping her to the post. And so she said as part of her speech, she looked down at Glenn Close and she says, you have been my idol for so long, and this is not how I want it to be. You are amazing. And of course, those of us who are familiar with film will recognize that both Olivia Colman and Glenn Close both gave amazing performances uh, in films over the past year. Uh, Olivia playing Queen Anne in My Favourite. And I was sort of thinking about that. Who are the people that we consider amazing today? And we can probably think of sports personalities. One great sporting legend that just died a couple of days ago, Uh, whenever I was growing up and supporting Liverpool, like one of the hard men of the Liverpool team was a guy called Tommy Smith. And he was a legend in in Anfield. But then over the last couple of days, uh, people have said, but actually, you know, he said a lot of things that wouldn't be acceptable. Um, And uh, so there's a lot of cold water poured upon him. And not everybody wants to come out and support him and say he was our number one legend. Or maybe you look at a historical figure. And uh, you might say, well, someone like Winston Churchill or some other great national leader. But again, those of you who watch the news will remember that even over the past number of weeks, others have come out and say, well, Winston Churchill was a great national leader, but he was also a racist. And so we shouldn't celebrate him uh, in the way that that we do. I I was really taken uh, on Mothering Sunday. Joseph put a picture up on his Facebook page (laughs) this is what happens when you do things on Facebook and this is what he put up oh so sweet isn't it but it's not that it's what he actually said afterwards so he put on Facebook page Mother's Day she L she keeps the whole thing together day by day she keeps me right, she shows Reuben how to live, and she keeps Ariana alive and thriving. We all love her so dearly. I mean, what do you think of that? As far as Joseph's concerned, El is probably the most amazing person in the world. He's not nodding. <laughs> okay. But you sort of think, who do you consider amazing? And from a Christian perspective and from a biblical perspective, we, it's one of these things you say in Sunday school, you know, you ask the children a question and they always answer Jesus. And, and this is clearly the right answer. Who's the most amazing person that's ever lived? And of course, it's Jesus. And if we were to ask Mary in the story in John chapter 12, who's the most amazing person you've ever met? She would be jumping up and down with her hand in the air saying, of course it's obvious. Like I know Lazarus is just amazing and I, I know that Martha is an amazing sister and I know other people who are amazing, but, but actually there's no one like Jesus. He is the most amazing person that I have ever crossed my path with. And so we know the story how Mary comes and she takes this expensive perfume and she anoints the feet of Jesus. And it creates quite a response among those who are there at the dinner party. But she does it because from her perspective, there is no one like Jesus. And so I just want to say three things this morning about Mary's adoration of Jesus about her worship of Jesus, because she recognized that Jesus was amazing. And again, like last Sunday, if you think the first point is long, the next two points are very small in comparison. So don't worry if it's 20 to 11, and we're still just finishing point one. But firstly, Jesus deserves our praise. Jesus deserves our praise. Why? Because he is our Savior. Obviously, we're approaching Easter time. And the story here in the context is really an Easter story. It starts off by saying it was six days before the Passover. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He was on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified but he takes time out once again to drop in to Bethany home to be with people that he loved to be with people who loved him just that he could have a little bit of space before carrying on into Jerusalem and facing the trials and the scourging and the spitting, and ultimately the crucifixion upon the cross of Calvary. And of course, he wasn't the only one traveling to Jerusalem. There were thousands of other people traveling to Jerusalem at the same time, and they were all heading to celebrate Passover. And of course, you remember what Passover was. Children of Israel were in Egypt Hundreds and hundreds of years previously. And God had promised that He would redeem them from the land of Egypt. But the Pharaohs wouldn't let God's people go. And so God brings a number of plagues upon the land of Egypt one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And at the end of it, Pharaoh's heart was even more hard. Than it had been at the start. And so the final plague was that the firstborn of every family would lose their lives. But God said to the heads of the families within the children of Israel I want you to take a lamb, a lamb a year old, a lamb that is not deformed in any way, a perfect lamb. And I want you to sacrifice that lamb and to take the blood and apply it to the doorposts and the lintels of your houses. And God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over. I will pass over you. And so this feast of Passover was a reminder to the thousands who were gathering into Jerusalem of God's great act of redemption many hundreds of years previously. But Jesus would leave Bethany, and he would join those thousands of people, and he would be making his way to Jerusalem, not just to celebrate Passover, but ultimately to become the Passover lamb, the one who would die as the perfect son of God, The one who would give his life and shed his blood in order that the sins of the world could be atoned for. And this was all part of the context of the story. The author is very keen to put it into that context. It was six days before Passover. Only a few days before Jesus would hang on Calvary. And now he takes a moment out to be in Bethany. But almost certainly, Calvary was on his mind. But also in the context, we don't only have Jesus there as the one who would be the Savior, but they were having dinner together. And again, John specifies that one of the people who's at dinner is none other than Lazarus. Lazarus is reclining at the table. And you'll remember that from chapter 11 that we looked at last week, that uh, Lazarus had taken sick and had died. And Martha comes and questions Jesus and Mary likewise. And then Jesus retorts and says, but but don't worry, I am the resurrection and the life. And Martha says, "I, I know all that at the last day he'll be Jesus has no eye. And so he comes and he calls Lazarus forth. And here he is eating dinner. like It's almost surreal, isn't it? This guy who was stinking, the Bible tells us, his body was beginning to decompose in the tomb. And here he is reclining at dinner with Jesus and others in Bethany. And surely every time they walked around the table and every time Lazarus even spoke, even just his very presence there reminded them that Jesus, who was at the very center of this meal, was not only the one who was on his way to Calvary, but he was the one who was the resurrection and the life. He was the one who alone could give life where there was death. Not just physically, but as a sign pointing forward to spiritual resurrection also. And because of that, Mary therefore comes and anoints him. Almost certainly she didn't realize fully all that I've just said, but she realizes that Jesus is the special one. And she comes and pours her worship. Upon him. Let me just say three or four things about this simple act of worship. It tells us, doesn't it, that Mary was someone with a humble spirit. You see, Jesus and Lazarus and probably the men, generally speaking, would have been literally lying on the floor, you know, almost like on one elbow, the table in the middle, and lying with their feet outstretched, Their heads almost at the table, feet outstretched away from the table. And in order for Mary to perform this act of worship, she would have to bow down and get on her knees and provide really a subservient act in order to offer this worship to Jesus. It's interesting that we only meet Mary three times in the Gospels. And each time it's in reference to the feet of Jesus. So, for example, in the Gospel of Luke, do you remember Jesus is coming to Bethany and Martha gets all frustrated because uh, Mary's not helping her in the kitchen. And what's Mary doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he has to say. And, of course, Jesus comes and says, Mary has chosen the better part. And then last week in John chapter 11, when Mary realizes that Jesus was coming near Bethany, she runs out to meet him. And again, John is explicit. She falls at his feet, perhaps in despair, but also with all of those questions, if only you had been here. But again, she falls at his feet and gives him the honor that he demands. And so here again, in John chapter 12, we find her anointing the feet of Jesus. Isn't it interesting that in each of those three occasions where Mary is mentioned, she takes that humble position at the feet of her master. You see, the feet of Jesus is where humble service begins. Not just for Mary but for each and every disciple and follower of Jesus. I think also, secondly, that she had a perceptive heart. Almost certainly, as I said a moment ago, she didn't understand fully the significance of what she did. She didn't realize that when Jesus left Bethany, he would be going to Jerusalem and to Golgotha's hillside. But perhaps she did sense something more than what others did. Like the disciples didn't seem to have a clue. Even though Jesus had spelt it out to them time and time and time again, still when it came close to Jerusalem, they said, but Jesus, it doesn't have to be this way. Surely there must be some other way. Maybe Mary just sensed that there was something that was weighing on the mind of Jesus. Maybe she just sensed in some way that when Jesus was heading for Jerusalem, that it wasn't going to turn out good. I, who knows? Some commentators have suggested that, you know, Jesus and Mary, Mary comes and sits at his feet and listens to what he has to say. And perhaps as we take that place and sit and listen at the feet of Jesus. Perhaps we sense what it is that's in his heart and is on his mind. And maybe Mary did sense more than anyone else. In Acts chapter 17, Luke says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. And yet Mary offers her worship to Jesus in a way that clearly brings delight to him. Isn't it amazing that God, the Lord Jesus, they don't need our worship. There's nothing that we can do that God needs us to do. After all, he's the creator of this universe. And yet as obvious that there are things that we do do as followers of Jesus that bring delight to him. And so whenever Mary pours this expensive perfume upon the feet of Jesus, we know from later in the story that it brought delight to him. Isn't it amazing how we as sinful, fragile human beings can do something to the God of this world that he finds delightful. But what Mary did was also extravagant. The annual salary of a normal wage earner. Maybe in today's terms, we're talking about perfume worth 20, 25,000 pounds. She obviously was a well-off lady, perhaps from a well-off family. But even bearing that in mind, this was a lavish act of worship. And uh, we know how Judas responded, and I'm sure how other onlookers responded as well. And as I was poring over this during the week, I just thought sometimes we as Christians, can get to a place where we almost despise the outpouring of others. Whether it be in sung worship on a Sunday, or whether it be in terms of time, or in terms of finance, or just in terms of just giving a hundred percent to God. I remember many, many years ago, Um, going over from the Isle of Man to Belfast. I'm not even sure why I was there. And I was meeting up with another Christian brother who was involved in full-time Christian ministry. And um, he said to me, David, I want to take you for lunch. And I thought, yeah, we'll probably end up in some little chippy in the back end of Belfast, you know. And uh, because, you know, he was was a guy like us who learned how to do beans and toast three ways, you know. He didn't have loads. And and I was amazed when he took me into this restaurant in Shaftesbury Square in Belfast in the university area. And uh, and, and I'd only just heard of Paul Rankin. You know, some of you will know Paul Rankin from TV, cookery shows, and he's just been recently doing something through Italy and stuff, hasn't he? And, And, of course... If you want to buy the best potato bread in the world, you want to buy Paul Rankin's potato bread, you know. It's true, isn't it? It's true. Yes. It okay. This morning's service is sponsored by... No, it's it. Um, and he took me into this cafe that Paul Rankin had opened, you know. And, uh, and I, I can almost still taste the sauce, you know. I mean, I'm just an HP sauce man. I, I'd never, ever, you know, eaten meat with such a beautiful sauce, you know. And, and I, you know, if I, if I close my eyes, I can almost, you know, it was just wonderful. And I have no idea what the price was. I mean, it, it must, I, I've never, ever, ever at that point ever been in such an expensive restaurant. And part of me thought, you know, why has he done this? Like, there must be a catch. <laughs> you know, he's going to ask me to do something big or whatever, you know. And I don't think I even asked him. I just said when can we do this again? No. <laughs> but but all he was doing was saying, David, I'm sure you must be tired sometimes. You know, being in ministry in the Alaman for seven or eight years. And I knew that you work long hours, and I'm sure there are things that happen that sometimes get you down or whatever. And I, I just thought I wanted to spoil you for the afternoon. Just take you out and bless you. Of course, I could easily come back and say, but do you know there are people in the street, outside begging, and why didn't we use the money for that? And of course, one isn't the opposite of the other. He just said, I want to bless you. I want to encourage you. Sometimes just doing special things like that mean far more even, Than the financial cost. It's a bit like that with Mary. Mary just comes to Jesus. And she just wants to offer. The most beautiful worship. To Jesus. Of course the money could have been used. For other things. And we're not going there this morning. But she just wanted to demonstrate to Jesus. That as far as she was concerned. There was no one more amazing in the whole world. And sometimes when we see that evidenced in people's lives, either on a Sunday or in some other way in which they worship in their day-to-day lives during the week, let's not comment on it in a way that appears to be negative. But maybe sometimes we need to ask ourselves the question, when's the last time I acted extravagantly toward Jesus. I just poured out my love to him in a way that others would find strange. I suppose that brings us to the next part, that her love was uncalculating. You know, as a woman, she shouldn't have taken down her hair in public. It was probably a sign maybe not so much within the home, but certainly within society, that she was like a loose living woman. But she takes down her hair because she isn't sitting there thinking, I wonder what everyone's going to think. I wonder what everyone's going to make of it. She just wanted to demonstrate her worship to Jesus. And so she expresses her love in this way. You may wonder what those who were outside of faith thought. Those who, like the Pharisees who wanted to kill Jesus or wanted to kill Lazarus because he was Jesus' exhibition number one. You know, why, why, what on earth would they make of it? Oh, there must have been other people there who just thought she was, like, just be a bit more sensible. Think about what you're doing. Just, but she was uncalculating. And that's the way it is sometimes when we worship, either through some worship or through the way we serve financially or our time or whatever. Sometimes we just do stuff for Jesus without thinking. We don't have to calculate the number of hours we've done or the amount of money we've given or the percentage. We just want to splash out and just do it. Do you know, I suspect there are a number of people in this town, if they came to this service this morning, And they saw Joseph and El standing here at the front with their baby. And I'm reading and saying, you know, El, this is not really your baby. Well, it is. And I know that one day whenever the baby leaves home that there'll be lots of tears. But you know it's not your property. It's not something that you own. And to stand here and say, I want to dedicate this child to God because I recognize it's not... I want this child more than having a first-class honours at Cambridge and Mass, more than becoming the best computer scientist in the world, is actually I want them to be a little light for Jesus in a dark world. Like, that sounds crazy to many people in our society today. And also, as I hinted at, it was a timely act, because Jesus was on his way to the cross. And the consequence was that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. We spoke about this actually a couple of weeks ago, so I'll not spend any more time on it this morning. But we're challenged, aren't we, to do likewise. We're challenged to follow the example of Mary, to realize that Jesus is amazing. He is our Savior. He is our resurrection and our life. And therefore, we are challenged to do exactly the same thing and to serve God with all of our beings. What does Jesus deserve from us? All to Jesus I surrender, we've been singing. I suppose we could remember the verses of Peter, is it 1 Peter 2, where he says, you are a chosen people. Why? Why? that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his beautiful light. Part of the reason God has created a family of God is that we might declare his praises. That's part of why we exist. It maybe is the most important reason why we exist. And yet we all know, don't we, it's our own experience that at times we lose our passion for Jesus. At times we lose that desire to, to worship him with all of our hearts. I say, whether it's on a Sunday or in our giving, and our time or whatever, we end up becoming lukewarm and, and cold. I was reflecting on that verse in the Song of Solomon's where it says, many waters cannot quench love. And yet we know that the reality is that there are so many things happening in our lives that our love does become weak, and so our worship likewise becomes impacted. You know that in order to have a fire, you have to have three elements. You have to have heat, um, you have to have oxygen, and you have to have fuel. Those are the three things that make fire. And, uh, the reason why we have fire extinguishers and so on, is if you take away any one of those three elements, the fire either burns out or or certainly burns lower. And I was just thinking almost as a parallel, almost in passing this morning, how that can be true spiritually in terms of our worship of God. So heat, for example. The reason you put a cold water on a on a fire is that it 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 lowers the temperature and takes away the heat and ultimately the fire goes out and it's easy sometimes isn't it even as we were talking about last Sunday sometimes to allow the struggles that we're facing in our lives to dampen our enthusiasm for God and we end up just losing something of the vibrancy of our faith. And we recall the psalmist sometimes almost having to cajole himself. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. He's almost talking to himself as he's encouraging himself. Sometimes even on a Sunday, we need to force ourselves to sing and to worship until our hearts catch up with our minds. Is there a danger sometimes that all the stuff that we're going through in life dampens and takes away our passion for God. Or to take the issue of oxygen. Part of the reason why you might throw a fire blanket over a burning cooker is that it takes away the oxygen, and so the fire goes out. And I suppose the spiritual analogy would be to say that when we're no longer dependent on the Holy Spirit, when we're just trying to go through life under our own steam, when we're grieving the Holy Spirit or resisting the Holy Spirit, then our worship also, in the end, becomes dry and routine. Or the third ingredient for a fire is, is to have fuel. And so, you imagine a big forest fire, and what do they do? They sometimes burn down a whole section of the forest, so that whenever the fire reaches that, there is nothing more to burn, and it burns itself out. And I think sometimes the parallel there is that we need to focus on who God is, his revelation in creation, his revelation in Scripture. And as we just keep feeding our souls with with God and with his word and with his truth. It enables our worship to remain passionate as it should be. But I mentioned our time is gone and almost just in passing. Because Jesus deserves our praise, because he deserves our adoration, therefore we need to stop focusing on ourselves. That was a big issue with Judas, wasn't he? In contrast to Mary, he really just wanted a cut out of the money for himself. We could have sold this, and he could have got a big cut out of it. David, whenever he's offered animals to be sacrificed, he refuses to take them. Because he says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Like Mary who doesn't calculate the cost. If we are truly offering our lives in service to God, we don't calculate the cost. But we know that it will be costly. When is the last time we have poured any perfume, any expensive perfume, on Jesus' feet recently? And then just a final little point as we close. Jesus deserves our praise. So let's stop focusing on ourselves. And perhaps our worship means more to Jesus than we realize. Jesus comes to Judas and to the others. And he says, leave her alone. And in one of the other Gospels, he sums it up by saying, she has done a beautiful thing for me. You see, remember Jesus is about to be crucified. He's leaving Bethany. He's heading to Calvary. And from this point onwards, even those closest to him are going to betray him. And those who are against him are going to kill him. But just for a few hours in Bethany, Jesus is able to enjoy the worship of someone who loves him and of someone that he loves. She has done a beautiful thing to me. This perfume, as I've mentioned, couldn't have been bought in the corner shop. This nard came from India, it was very expensive and extremely pungent. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago we let off a couple of stink bombs in church at the front? And we also had deep heat and some other things. And I was saying, you know, you put on the deep heat and, uh, and then you get up the next morning and you can still smell it. Or you can, you know, take off your trousers and you can still smell the deep heat that was on your leg. In the, in, you know. And it just goes everywhere. And one commentator suggests that this perfume, and and it was a huge amount of perfume that was poured onto Jesus' feet and perhaps elsewhere in his body as well, that it may well have lingered until his death. This perfume was so expensive and so pungent that even as Jesus hung on the cross, He could smell the perfume of Mary on his feet. I've been thinking about that. How beautiful is that? How wonderful it is to think about that. That maybe on the cross, when everybody else had deserted him, even when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the midst of all the pain and all the rejection. He could just smell the perfume that Mary had poured over his feet. And he knew that there were those who loved him. Those who cared for him. Those that would do anything for him. And you wonder, did the perfume of Mary just even make his experience on the cross that little bit more manageable. Perhaps our worship means more to Jesus than we can imagine. In a world that doesn't care two hoots about Jesus, in a world where Jesus is a swear word, perhaps it matters far more to Jesus when he hears us singing, sometimes not in tune, sometimes not very well. Okay, it's a sign. We need to close. But how wonderful that is. Let's not take worship as something that's almost not important. Our worship to Jesus might mean far more to him than we realize. So the band are going to come and we're going to close with a final song. I'll just pray as they do. Lord Jesus, there are parts of me just wants to keep on talking about this little passage because there's so much in it. This lady that did something beautiful for you. And I just pray that you'll help me and you'll help us as a church in this week to do stuff that leaves a mark, that the fragrance of our offering fills the place where we have been, that as we seek to serve you, as we sing to you, as we give to you, may it be something beautiful in your eyes, for we ask it in your name.